What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are doing another Q&A style episode, and all these questions were pulled from my Instagram story here just yesterday. And if you follow me on Instagram, I already answered some of these questions on my story, but I kept a handful of them because I thought a few of them were good and, and things that I have yet to talk about on the podcast, but things I've also talked about already on the podcast with just some different sense of like direction that we could go when talking about some of those topics. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now, the first question was yogurt and cottage cheese, best sources of casein to have before bed. So essentially asking, I'm trying to get more casein before bed. Is yogurt and cottage cheese the best source of that? To answer your question, yes. Now, if we look at this idea of what casein is, right, compared to maybe whey, um, there are different types of protein. And between whey and casein, those are going to be um, two types of protein as powders or people talking about sources of protein that you get from particular foods. Um, but both of them can be found in like protein supplements, which is, I think, one of the more common forms that you might see or hear people talking about casein kind of in this context before bed. But um, in general, whey protein is going to be absorbed a little bit quicker by your body. So this is kind of called like the faster protein supplement that you might hear. While casein is the opposite, it's the slower digesting protein. Um, and, and because casein is digested just a little bit more slowly, years and years and years now, there's been this perception that like having casein before bed will make a meaningful impact on your muscle gains over time. Because imagine you have this uh, bolus of protein or you're having this protein feeding right before bed and that's taking a little bit longer to digest. So you're just kind of like having this like protein drip essentially um, throughout the night, which will help, you know, continue to promote muscle protein synthesis and keep you from going in kind of like a negative nitrogen balance and so forth. But um, going back to the, the question, dairy is going to be, especially milk protein, specifically milk protein, dairy is going to be the best source of casein. I think it's like 80% casein, um, you know, you can find uh, or you can get from milk protein, but things like milk, cottage cheese, yogurt, even regular cheese, like all these types of dairy products are going to be high in casein. Um, another way to get casein before bed is just buying a protein supplement. Like they come in powders. Sometimes you get a protein powder and it has casein and whey protein in it. Um, now, before I close case on this question, what I also have to say is as long as your daily protein intake is on point, meaning if you're getting enough protein in throughout the course of the day consistently, this idea of having casein before bed is just not important at all, honestly. Um, if your protein you know, distribution throughout the day is on point, Let's say, you know, your goal is 160 grams of protein. You're having three or four feedings of 40 grams of protein or more. Maybe you're having a snack. All of those things are going to be far more important than whether or not you have a bowl of yogurt at the end of the night. Like if, if you're coming in at 100 grams of protein at the end of the day and your goal is 160 and then you have a 15 or 20 gram, you know, protein, cottage cheese, peach creation before bed, that is not going to be the same. It's going to be inferior than you being able to hit that protein target over the course of the day more consistently. Now, 
can this idea of having a later night snack or post-dinner snack or even like a protein supplement shake kind of thing, smoothie before bed, could that be something that allows you to reach that protein target that you're you know shooting for at the end of the day? Like, fuck yeah, it can. And I think that's great. And if you're using that as a tool to just kind of help you get up to that last however many grams of protein you need by the end of the day, I think this is awesome. But this this just idea of focusing on you know, are you getting a whey protein source or a powder or is it more casein? And are you eating more foods that are higher in casein? It's just, it's just not where I want your head and your mindset to be at when thinking about protein consumption. Just make sure you're getting enough protein in consistently over the course of the day and over the course of the week and you will be good. And this question of like, what is the best source of casein to have before bed just becomes irrelevant at that point. So I, um, I just want, to make that noted. Um, I, I, I do personally, I have been that person who has, you know, had the casein supplement in the past. And, and, uh, when I was in college, that was part of my supplement routine for sure. But, uh, you know, if I, if I knew what I knew now being able to just not hyper-focus or stress the fuck out about what the perfect protein sources is, protein sources are coming in at different times of the day. Really, it just comes down to are you getting enough over you know the course of the day when you're awake, and that's going to be far more important and the biggest indicator of whether or not you're going to make progressions and get in and you know stimulate muscle protein synthesis and make these gains and adaptations over time from your training. So. Um, to answer your question, yes, yogurt and cottage cheese is freaking awesome. Yeah, it has got a concentrated source of casein in there. That can be part of your routine. But, you know, this idea that that's some magical hack that is going to help you build more muscle over time is uh, is kind of a myth. So definitely, uh, definitely something that I don't want you to just think is going to be the make or break when it comes to you and your your body composition goals. But again, if that's if that snack or if you have a casein supplement before bed and that's something that you enjoy and it helps you get to that bare minimum number of protein throughout the course of the day, like do your thing. It's not, it's not hurting you by any means. So awesome. Good question. Next question was fasting. How is eating all your calories in a four to six hour window better than over 12 hours? Now I've talked about fasting before and if, if this is the first time you've heard me talk about fasting, it's likely going to be similar uh, to other episodes that I've had in the past talking about fasting. But uh, to answer this question is it's not <laughs> like there's just there there's nothing better about you eating your calories in a four to six hour window versus having those spread out throughout like a 12 hour period of time. We have to remember that fasting is just a tool. Like that's it, right? It's it's a way for people to be more adherent with what they are doing throughout the course of the day. Now, fasting is generally used as a form of restriction for people. A lot of times people rely on it for uh, dieting, you know, limiting or restricting calories. Um, it can be, I think, a tool that can work for a lot of people. Other people, it might not be the best idea as well. Like there's nuance and different considerations to decide, you know, if that is the best tool for you. But there's different forms of restriction when it comes to trying to limit the amount of calories that you're eating over the course of the day. One of those is, you know, time-restricted feeding, right? Like limiting the amount of time that you have you know, to eat throughout the course of the day. And for some people, having a four to six hour window, you know, 12 to, to 6 p.m. or uh, 2 to 6 p.m., like 
even, even like a 10 to five or six or seven or 8 PM. Like if you cut the amount of time that you're eating throughout the course of the day, or you're allowing yourself to eat, there is a chance that you will not eat as much calories, right? As, as you know, maybe you not thinking at all about how much or what you're eating throughout the course of the day. Like you just putting some general guidelines about when you're quote unquote allowed to eat that day. Um, that is a tool for some people and some people find that that works, but there's nothing magic about it. If we have two groups and we equate calories, we equate protein, we have a group that eats, you know, mindlessly or uh, mindfully, whatever it is over the course of 12 or 14 hours over the course of the day versus a group that is only eating six hours of the day. As long as those calories and, and everything that they're eating is, is uh, equivalent to one another, they are going to see the same outcomes over time, assuming you know, you're in a calorie deficit or maybe in a calorie surplus or eating the same amount of uh, maintenance calories for that particular person in their build. What really matters is your total calorie intake over the course of the day. And to one-up that, where those calories are coming from, right? Like that also has to be acknowledged because there's a ton of people out there who have a feeding window for six hours, but they're still eating like a fucking high schooler, right? You know, you can definitely overeat still if you limit the amount of, you know, time that you're eating throughout the course of the day to, to six hours. You bet your ass you could still overeat, you know, and overindulge in that window. And oftentimes I've seen sometimes people fasting going into it with like a more of a negative mindset, feeling like they have to do it or it, it was something that worked for somebody else and they're forcing it to work for their lifestyle. Sometimes it can kind of create this like binge restrict uh, feeling guilty kind of cycle that is, uh, is a pretty negative headspace to be in, especially if you're trying to find an eating pattern and routine that is like most conducive to your life and something that you will do long term. I find that fasting is a temporary tool for people to to lean on, but very, and I say very rarely, but a lot of times there comes a point where, you know, you are no longer required to restrict, right? Or you, you increase calories again, or, um, that dieting phase that you're in comes to an end. And sometimes people kind of get handcuffed to this one principle of like when they're eating throughout the course of the day and they can start to develop some of these like almost binge eating like, um, patterns where, Hey, maybe they're perfect Monday to Thursday or Friday, but then come weekend time and, and you have a, a, a wedding bachelor party weekend or something like you bet your ass you're going hard on the mimosas or whatever it is for breakfast in the morning. If that's not something that you do typically over time, like sometimes people have a harder time controlling their intake when they're eating outside of those restraints that they put on themselves when it comes to their eating pattern. So, um, I'm talking around this question a lot, but to, to answer it directly is there's nothing special about somebody eating in a four to six hour window compared to somebody who is eating the same thing over a 12 hour, you know, feeding window. So time restricted feeding can work for a lot of people. Another kind of form of restriction or approach that people take when it comes to like losing weight or restricting calories is, um, um, tracking calories, right? Like identifying what your daily energy in, intake is and either tracking that food or coming up with a system that is helping them better understand how much they're eating over the course of the day and staying within that general guideline. The other would be kind of restricting a, like a, uh, a particular food group 
A lot of times people will go low carb. This is where you see that, you know, people quote unquote going low carb. Naturally, their calories are going to be cut back because they're eating, you know, a lot less maybe processed foods. Ironically, they're also eating, you know, less fat. If, if, if somebody who's under this in, idea of like, hey, I'm going to go low carb and they start to cut out all the, the quote unquote carb foods that they eat on their day-to-day routine. You know, what happens is they do save a lot of calories, but it's not only coming from carbs in a lot of situations, right? Like if you imagine, okay, somebody's going low carb, that means I'm not going to have like the bread before the meal comes out at the restaurant. But how many times do people go to a restaurant or eat any type of bread and just have the plain bread alone, right? Like you're putting butter on that motherfucker or you're dipping it in like olive oil and vinegar if you're at a cool Italian restaurant or something, right? Like a lot of times you don't eat bread on its own. Maybe you have some ghee with it or something. Um, Same thing with like even like pasta or rice dishes, you know, like you go to a restaurant or you make a pasta at home, like not many people are just sitting there chowing on dry noodles, even like chickpea noodles or whole wheat noodles or whatever it is. Like you're adding sauce to that or you're adding butter or you're, you know, you're adding some type of oil and you're not just eating the pasta alone, right? Same with the pizza. Like if you go have pizza, yeah, the crust is carbs, but guess what else is in there, right? Like you have a bunch of cheese, sauce, depending on what toppings you have, meats, like you're also getting a lot of fat in that as well. Like let alone whatever you dip your pizza in, if you dip your pizza in anything, you know, shout out to all my ranch people, but like you, you stop eating pizza. Yes. You cut out the crust or the dough that you're eating, but you also cut out a fuck ton of cheese, you know, 400 calories from just ranch dipping sauce alone. If you're somebody like myself who just can't eat pizza without ranch and, um, yeah, you know, a lot of times when people cut out carbs, again, there's this perception that's just the carbs alone, but in all reality, it's fat too. So I'm on a tangent here, but uh, circling back to this question, it, it comes back to like, hey, fasting is a form of restriction. Um, it's a form of like time-restrictive eating. And for some people, it can work. For some people, it, it might not. It might take you trying it and giving it a shot to see if it is something that works for you. You know, a lot of times where I find that fasting is just not something to even consider for some people is like, for example, the, the working mom, or I think of like my wife in a sense where she, the only time she has to work out during the week is at like 6am before she gets ready for work and gets to school at 8am, right? And usually after school, it's uh, meetings or whatever it is, or hanging out with friends, whatever we might do. But if you imagine her fasting from 12, you know, to 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. at night, if she's working out at 6 a.m. and then not eating anything until 12 p.m., like I know her and and for the people who listen to this podcast who do know her, like you know she gets hangry as fuck, right? Like that would be an example of, hey, maybe maybe fasting and not eating anything until 12 is or noon is not the best idea for that person. You know, some people might wake up go to work early, whatever it is. They don't like eating breakfast. Like it's not their favorite meal. They can live without it. They have their first meal at lunch. Maybe they plan their training in the afternoon around their work schedule or their social life or whatever it is. And then they have their last meal at the end of the day. Like those are situations where maybe fasting might work for some people. So it's all going to come down to personal preference, but I just, I just can't say it enough, but like there's no magic, like properties of fasting alone. And that is something you might see glamorized a lot in the fitness space. But when it comes to the actual research that we see in humans, when it comes to fasting, 
A lot of it comes down, you know, the improved uh, blood markers or blood pressure or body composition or um, weight loss, whatever they're checking, even inflammation. A lot of that, a lot of that, you know, positive research that comes from fasting comes from the idea or the concept that they are in a calorie deficit. They are eating less than what they normally are. There's some form of restriction that's been implemented in their lives. They've lost some weight because of that. And it's that weight loss that is the the, you know, result of how of all these blood markers and all these other things that they're checking, why those things improved. It's not the actual fasting alone. Cause you, we have the same research with people restricting calories, having a controlled environment or whatever it is. And, and they're eating less than what they were before. You get the same outcomes with people eating throughout the whole course of the day compared to people just eating one or two meals a day or following an eight, six, four hour fasting window. So Again, nothing special about fasting, and I, uh, I can't drive that point home enough. And again, some people might find that that works for their lifestyle, but for every one person that I found really likes it and enjoys it and can see themselves doing it long-term, there's another five to 10 people that absolutely fucking hate it and, and uh, the idea of them not being able to eat breakfast or like uh, feeling guilty for you know having a later dinner on date night at the end of the week. Like Those are the things that... Uh, you also have to consider is like from a mental standpoint and how you approach and the intent in which you're doing some of these like protocols with your nutrition. Is that going to be a net positive or a net negative for you? If you're shaming yourself, you're feeling guilty. If you're creating a negative relationship with food, sometimes those are the the consequences. If you know, fasting is taken too far or not done in the correct headspace. So all things to consider, but cool. I digress from there. Let's move on to the next one. Next question is how to go about finding a therapist. Now, I love this question. And to the person asking this question, I appreciate you asking this question because I think a lot of people might might have the same, you know, question in the back of their mind, but have no idea how to to get into therapy in the first place. And I love this topic. You know, personally, I've been seeing a therapist over two years every week now for the last, you know, couple of years of my life now. And I see myself doing it indefinitely. Maybe it's not every week, forever. Maybe it's once a month, a couple times a month. It is something that I see as a real value, especially working with clients too and being able to refer, honestly, like half of the people that I work with, I would say therapy and trying to address their mental health and getting them to seek some other outside support and mental health support is usually something that goes hand in hand with nutrition coaching. And for me, I, I know that there's kind of a balance between what I do and my, uh, my area of, uh, expertise and, and what I'm actually not allowed to dive into with people. So that's where having a good kind of referral system for me is, has been integral, whether it's in Reno, the little community that I live in, or even just being, being able to like point people towards online, you know, resources like BetterHelp or some of these online places that, you can go through insurance, you cannot, you can cycle through therapists, see if you can find the right one. I would say the access to mental health care now is probably the best it's ever been. Maybe that's because I'm immersed in it and I've, I've, you know, helped people get on their own kind of plan with, you know, getting and seeing a therapist. But I say all this because one of my goals here, I've been talking to a local therapist in town who has a really awesome group, Grounded Roots Therapy. Troy, if you're listening to me, can't wait for our podcast episode, but ideally here, we're going to have a podcast in the next week or two, or ideally within the next month, but, uh, that will be a, a topic of conversation, this one in particular. So I'm going to kind of breeze over what 
what are some things that come to mind for me in the first place? And then we'll actually get somebody who does this for a living to give you maybe some, some better answers here in the next couple episodes when I get my, uh, my friend Tori on. But, um, when we ask this question, like, how do you go about finding a therapist? I think the, the concept of you acknowledging that you need or that you want a therapist is a really big leap for like most people. Like, like if you, if you look at the stages of change, like that pre-contemplation phase and then that contemplation phase and then you taking action, like those are really difficult, you know, areas to navigate through, especially if you're doing this alone. Um, so I just need you to appreciate the fact that you're acknowledging something that's kind of a big deal that you know might be a missing link in your life right now that can kind of fill in some gaps and and help you come out, you know, like a better person on the other side after being able to dive into a therapist and and work through some of the stuff that you're you're trying to navigate through. I think you acknowledging that in the first place is honestly a place that not a lot of people even get to. And I'm biased, but I think everybody could benefit from seeing a therapist. Like no matter what your history is, what you're doing now, um, I think just having a place where you can kind of just, you know, go talk and word vomit on somebody for an hour, even if it's once a year, right? I think that could be a positive thing. Um, but when it comes to actually go about finding a therapist, it's like acknowledging you need one or want one is the first step. But then going and finding one is a completely different ball game, right? And this will depend on the person and whether or not you're trying to use insurance and what your insurance will cover and how good your insurance is and how many visits you're allowed to get and what your copay is. Like a lot of times, unfortunately, like the financial side of things will drive a lot of the decisions that you are making when it comes to this. Um, but just remember that your situation is probably going to be different than anybody else. So keeping that in mind, like it might take a little bit of trial and error with this sometimes. Um, but some questions to ask yourself that come to mind for me would be, are you looking to maybe talk to somebody in person, you know, like go to an actual like brick and mortar place where you're talking to somebody face to face? Or would you rather do like a video chat, Zoom, like whatever electronic health record system like a therapist might be using? Would you rather do it from like the comfort of your own home? I think I think there's pros and cons to both of those, but it's really going to come down to you and what you prefer and what you will feel most comfortable in. Like for some people, Maybe it's a mom who has a husband and three kids and a dog. And like anytime you're at home, there's always something going on and there's always somebody interrupting you or there's always something that you got to be doing. Like sometimes maybe that person might need to remove themselves from that that situation to, to go to another spot to be able to kind of get into a headspace where they're able to like talk about some of those things instead of being high strung and trying to do something that's in their house, right? Um, some people might find that their home is a more comfortable environment for them and that is the ideal place for them. Or maybe they find a therapist and they're not in the same city, right? Or you find somebody online and you prefer that and, you know, you don't mind doing the video chats. I think that's a great option as well. But ask yourself, what type of communication do you prefer, like in person or online? Um, once you answer that question, I think some other questions you need to ask yourself are, like, what are you looking to get out of it? Or what are you looking for help in? Um, are you looking for help with like anxiety or past trauma or like grief or are you looking for a couples therapy or again just a place that you can go word vomit on somebody for you know an hour or two to four times a month like be honest and be real with what you're looking to get out of therapy because that's also going to drive like what type of practitioner you're going to be looking for um, and trying to find the best fit with 
okay? Um, so once you have some of those questions answered, I'd really recommend just going online, you know, as, as simple as it sounds, but going online, searching therapists in my area, um, or you can just even search online and try and find, you know, a handful of people who specialize in what you're looking for. Um, also, if if they take your insurance or not, uh, if you are looking to go down that route with your insurance and all that. But um, that would be my starting point. Now, if you're lucky you know, to have to have a good primary care doctor or maybe you're working with a nutrition coach or a personal trainer, I think it's worth asking if they have, excuse me, any referrals that they would you know, point you towards first. Um, sometimes getting a referral could be a little easier way to get in the door and, and be introduced to somebody or a group instead of you trying to find it on your own. But I promise you, I have not met a therapist, at least for myself, that, you know, isn't interested in helping you become, you know, uh, become the best version of you and being able to help you come out a better person after going through therapy or continuing to progress through therapy. And, you know, I, I can't speak for like the, the mental health profession as a whole, cause I'm not in it. Um, but it is, it's similar to like trying to find a personal trainer or a nutrition coach. It's like, who do you vibe with? What are your goals? What are you looking to, to accomplish? You know, what kind of personality are you looking for? Are you looking to work with a boy or with a girl or, you know, with somebody who's gone through similar experiences that you've gone through? Are you looking to work with, you know, a 28 year old or somebody in their seventies? Like there's a lot of different, you know, routes that you can go down. And sometimes it's going to take cycling through or trying a handful of different people for a course of a month or two before you find the person that you like. And, and my biggest advice would like, don't feel like you need to settle on the first person because the conversation is awkward when you're like, Hey, I don't think it's going to work out. Like any good health practitioner is going to be okay with that. And any luck at all, they will also help you find maybe somebody who's a better fit if you're not vibing with that person in the beginning. So again, this is a topic that I love. And uh, again, not something that I'm amazing at by any means, but I'm hoping to get a, a an awesome podcast guest here on the, uh, on the show here in the next few weeks or so. So stay tuned for that. If you are interested about therapy and that whole world, because I think it's super underrated and super important that honestly, everybody can benefit from. Awesome. Next one is what's the I I F Y M approach. Okay. To do five times per week and get results. Now, the IIFYM, if you've never heard that acronym before, just all it stands for is if it fits your macros approach. Now, if we have to kind of define what if it fits your macros kind of uh, mindset is, really all that's doing is just recognizing the importance of calories over specific food choices when it comes to your body composition. Uh, and this is 100% true, Right. I think Alan Aragon is actually the uh, the person to kind of coin the if it fits your macros approach. Great follow on Instagram if you're not following him already. Um, but it's kind of been taken out of taken out of context, I think. And I've, I've heard a podcast where he said that as well. It didn't turn out to be what he envisioned this idea is. Which, if you think about it, right, you have your macros, all the macronutrients. Um, we're referring to the carbs, proteins, and fats ratios that you're trying to hit throughout the course of the day. Now, 
calories also matter, right? Like the, the amount of grams of carbs and fats and proteins all will equate to an end calorie target. Um, but you're a little bit more focused on, you know, what are the individual numbers that I'm getting from these different macronutrients to equal my total calories. Now, if it fits your macros has kind of been taking out of context because people have looked at this as like, okay, well, as long as I fall within this calorie range and I get a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of carbs, a certain amount of fat, it doesn't matter what those sources are as long as I'm hitting those numbers. Now, again, that's true. Like theoretically, you could have four protein shakes a day. You could have, you know, a box of Oreos and a little bag of chips and you know, you could have butter in your coffee and you could technically hit your macros for the day uh, and you could fall to a calorie range and you could see progress by doing that. Now, is that something that is going to be good and beneficial for your health in the long run? We all know, no, right? Like that's, that's not a good plan over the long run for you to, <laughs> for you to approach your nutrition with that mindset, right? And the second part of this question is like, is it okay to do this five times a week and still get results? You know, to me, when I hear that, it's like only doing it five times a week sounds like, sounds like this person might just be in that like, you know, Monday to Friday, got to be perfect with my plan only to say fuck it on the weekends only to feel guilty and, and shame myself into starting to get back on track on Monday and just repeating that forever. That is that is where my head goes with it. It's kind of my knee-jerk reaction. I'm not saying that this person asked that and nor am I pointing fingers here, but this idea of only following something for four times a week, five times a week, and then not having any idea or thinking about anything else on the weekends or other times, I think it just kind of misses the mark here with with this whole health pursuit that people are, are actively pursuing right now, right? This idea of like doing things temporarily or doing things half-heartedly or doing things half of the time. It's like the further you deviate away from things that you can realistically seeing yourself do over time, the more unlikely it is that you're going to be able to stick with that shit forever. Right. And, and this idea of just doing things, you know, when you want to, or, doing things because you feel like you have to or or somebody else has done this if it fits your macros approach and and they stepped on stage and and got super crazy lean and they're a bodybuilder you know like a lot of times it's just it's just not reflective of the life that is going to be your best life going forward and it almost takes you further away from the end goal which is ideally getting to your body composition goals getting to your health goals feeling confident and having a positive relationship with the food that you eat, with the diet regimen that you have, um, being able to like get on this track where everything is included. A lot of times when you have these like boundaries or you have this mindset of like, I could just say fuck it and do whatever I want as long as it fits within these parameters. And if I do that five times a week, it's just, man, it'll work until it doesn't or it won't work at all. And then you'll be back to square one within a month after trying that. So I, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't want to get too caught up on this question. It's not that I'm shitting on the, if it fits your macros approach. I think there's some, I think there's a lot of relevance to it. This idea of like flexible dieting, right? Like you can fit, you know, your, your calorie intake, but you can also fit your Ben and Jerry's ice cream in at the end of the night. Like that can be a really positive and enlightening experience for some people. Um, but you know, I, I just find that 
it's, it's not always the best approach. If you have this mindset of like, Hey, if I only do this for five times a week, or is it true that I could just eat whatever the fuck I want? As long as I hit these minimum numbers, man, it just, it goes deeper than that. Right. And like the food we get and the nutrients from the food that we get and being able to, you know, create a, a day where, uh, we have an eating pattern that makes us feel good and gives us normal digestion and is conducive to the strength and adaptation goals we're chasing for. Um, maybe it's in alignment with what your, your fitness goals are from like a body composition standpoint, you know, where we get these calories, how many, how many, um, grams of fiber are we getting over the course of the day? What type of carbohydrates are we getting? Are we getting all high fructose corn syrup or or are we getting, you know, fructose in the form of whole fruits, right? Are we getting vegetables, complex or uh, complex carbs? Like your calories matter and how you get to those calories also matters. So this idea like, yeah, you can fit foods within that is totally legit. And, and that's, that's a path that I, I actually help people get to where not demonizing foods or looking at things as like good or bad or getting away from like the all or nothing mentality or, you know, having X amount of foods that are off limits. It's like, how can we incorporate those, but make sure we're covering our basis and, and, and doubling down on all the fundamentals that are going to yield the biggest return on our investment from a health standpoint when it comes to our nutrition and fitness. Like that's where I want us to get to. And for some people that might, that might be tracking your macros to a T and having this, if it fits your macros approach for a period of time, like some people can get away with that. Right. But for some of these reasons, like you just tracking, if you're going to track for the average person, I'd rather have you track your total calories, hit a protein target, track your fiber, making sure you're getting a minimum amount of grams of per fiber per serving of whatever calories you're eating throughout the course of the day. Like those are things that I would emphasize more so than like trying to fit in pop tarts to your, you know, <laughs> your day of eating and only doing that five days a week. So I don't know. I don't know if any of that made sense, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a love hate relationship with this, like if it fits your macros approach, cause more often than not, it kind of just fucks with people mentally. And it, uh, it can just be, it could be something that is counterproductive and not, not conducive to the way somebody is going to live forever. Now, on that same breath, it is also true that maybe somebody could change their outlook on food to, hey, I can fit X amount of foods, these quote-unquote fun foods or date night or pizza or whatever it might be. I can fit all of these foods within this calorie range as long as I'm adhering to these calories. That also could be a really enlightening experience for some people as well. So um, I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. Some people can fall in the middle, but it's... uh, if like this question asks, is it okay to just do this five days a week and still get results? I think we're kind of missing the mark of like, what's sustainable? Are we thinking beyond, you know, what we're doing Monday to Friday? And is there a different approach that we could take that might be easier, more fun and more effective to adhere to instead of just falling into this cycle of binging on the weekends and trying to be perfect with your, with your shit, you know, Monday to Friday kind of thing. So Awesome. The last question I have today is best tips for weight loss if you've been yo-yo dieting for 10 plus years. Oh man, I feel like this could be a whole podcast on its own to be honest. Um, and there's there's really a lot of different directions that we could go at this. And everything that I'm going to say might sound simple, but it's not always as easy to implement. Like if it was easy to implement, I think a lot more people would have more successful 
weight loss and weight loss retention rates than we do right now. Um, but if I'm talking to this person, I'd really first start by acknowledging that, you know, what you've been doing hasn't been working, right? Like being able to acknowledge that and come to terms with that and, and just being honest with yourself. I think that, I think that needs to be addressed and appreciated in the beginning before you can make any real tangible, like, um, progress and, and meaningful progress that is likely to stick this time. Okay. So there's really a mental component to this. And I think that needs to be addressed first and foremost. Um, and that's again, maybe something for a therapy session with you and your therapist, uh, uh, or even a coaching call with me, depending on the context, but I can't really go into that on this podcast episode necessarily, or, or talk about it on a Q and a like this, but it is, again, something that I'd recommend exploring, whether it's with yourself, um, maybe it's with your spouse, with somebody you trust, with a therapist, with your coach, with your trainer, just like being really fucking honest with yourself and, and acknowledging that what you've been doing in the past has not gotten you to a place where you feel happy with and this idea that you always need to start something or get more tips and always being in this mindset of like, what do I need to do to change? that shit has to break for all of this to be successful down, you know, down the road. Now from a, from a nutrition standpoint, there's a few things I'd say, but I'd really recommend you and anybody in this kind of boat here, just stop classifying food as good or bad, like labeling it as like diet foods or fun foods or regular foods or, you know, green and red foods, like, this dichotomy of like good and bad food is just not a headspace that is conducive to you having a good relationship with food over the long run. Okay. So we really need to stop demonizing in, in on that same breath, stop glamorizing some of the foods that you've deemed as good or bad in the past and start to repair your relationship with food that way. Understanding that all foods can fit is an, is an amazing and really empowering concept, but it only works if you actually believe it and you allow yourself to believe that. And if you allow yourself to have some of these things and you're not always in this mindset of like, I got to be perfect and you know, there's none of the, the bad foods in the house or I can never snack on X, Y, and Z or go out to dinner or whatever it might be, get out of the mindset that there's good or bad foods because those don't fucking exist, Okay. Next thing I would recommend is, and maybe you've done it in the past, but I'd recommend you track your food for a period of time. Uh, maybe it's a week at least, maybe it's a month, but I just really recommend you build awareness around what you're actually eating, right? Like what are you eating? How often are you eating it? What is your routine? What are your tendencies? Uh, what are you buying at the grocery store? What do you have on it, uh, uh, on hand at the house? What are you exposed to at work? Are you accounting for, you know, bite licks and tastes when you're cooking, um, you know, stuff in the kitchen for dinner? Are you saying yes to everything that you get offered to? What is your alcohol consumption like? Like start to track everything. And again, this is where being honest with yourself is super, super important because when you're not honest with yourself, you know, not tracking or intentionally or even unintentionally, like not accounting for some of these things can make this process a lot harder. But you buckling down, being honest with yourself and building awareness around what you're actually doing right now today, not what you do when you're in your diet phase or what you do when you're just completely saying, fuck it. Like what, what have you been doing the last month or two or beyond that? And Build some aware awareness around that because awareness will always precede change. 
And we need to spend some time doing this so we can really kind of develop a plan of attack going forward or look at kind of like what the lowest hanging fruit is. Because I promise you when you do that, even just tracking food for a period of time, it's like that's when you notice how much alcohol you might be actually consuming or how many calories you're getting when you're eating away from home. Or maybe it's just underestimating the amount of portions or the portion sizes that you're making with your breakfast, lunch, and dinner at home. Or, you know, what health bars you have, like you having a perfect bar every day because it's organic and it's green at Costco, like that's still 350 calories. And how is that fitting into the rest of your choices throughout the course of the day? Like building awareness is really going to be that tool that you can look in and see, hey, Maybe I'm a little deficient in some of these areas. Maybe I have room for improvement when it comes to adding uh, more colors or more f- uh, fruits and vegetables or getting another protein source with breakfast or just eating breakfast alone or changing what I'm eating with breakfast or cutting out that, you know, 9 p.m. snack or late night, whatever it is. Like that's when you start to, you know, be able to like have more confidence cutting back or changing one thing at a time. And then you can use that to build on over time. So Creating awareness is really important. There's a variety of ways you can do that. You don't have to track meticulously every single piece of food. Um, I do think that that's in a, a really powerful place to be if you're in a good headspace with it, right? People trying to do that alone sometimes can kind of lead to this negative relationship they have with food tracking and, and relate that more to dieting. But really, I just want you to do this with the intent of being um, curious and and having almost like an educational standpoint of, wanting to know what the fuck is going on, what's not working, and then how can I use that to make what I'm doing better serve me in going forward. So tracking, I think, can have a profound effect on that. You could take photos. You could write it down. um, You can count out the amount of servings of fruits and vegetables you have throughout the course of the day, um, how many times you eat, what you're doing on the weekends. There's a lot of different ways that you could track, but I think tracking food and building awareness around that would be something that I would start with in the beginning. And again, I I feel like I've said this a lot already, but I think the last thing you need to remember and do is, again, just to be brutally honest with yourself, right? Like not even with what you're tracking, but explore what your goals are and why you have them and why you want those goals and what it would actually take to get you to those goals. You know, like your goal doesn't have to be, quote unquote, like lose X amount of weight. Really just dive into what your why is and and. I just need you to understand that you putting a timeline on a lot of this health and fitness stuff is not always going to be the best practice when it comes to to reaching your health goals. Like maybe get rid of the timelines that you've consistently set on reaching some of these health markers or whatever it is. And again, use that awareness component, start to build and habit stack over time. And then before you know it, three months, six months, a year will go by and you're in a completely different space. And it it doesn't feel like it was that much of an effort. Like, yes, it will be hard and more of an effort upfront in the beginning, but that stuff will become easier over time. The more you repeat it, the more custom you, you know, become doing it, the more you change your identity to be centered around, Hey, this is a person that I want to be and that person that I want to be does these things. So I'm going to do what is in alignment with that person that I want to be like, that's when this shit gets a lot easier over time, but it starts with baby steps, get out of this idea of there's good or bad foods, build awareness around what you're doing, start to do some small incremental steps. Don't overhaul your, your life again, you know, starting next week and 
just be brutally honest with yourself of what you're doing, why you want to do it and what it's actually going to take to get there. And when you start to, when you start to just have those conversations with yourself or other people, you'll start to realize like what is actually important to you, where you can actually, you know, feasibly start to make meaningful improvements in your life and then kind of let the rest take care of itself and add stuff slowly over time. So to the person asking this question, if you're listening, you got this, you know, it's, uh, man, it's not easy. Uh, and, and I want you to know that everybody has their own kind of struggles when it comes to this shit. So you are not unique in this sense, but, uh, you just got to remember, you got to do this for you. You got to be honest with yourself and you got to just take a different approach this time. Cause what you've been doing the last 10 plus years has not been fucking working. Okay. So we gotta, we gotta change something and just come at it with a different approach, come at it with a different mindset. And, um, I think you'll see your progress change because of that. So awesome. I think that was the last, yep. That was the last question today. Definitely, uh, per usual, episode went a little longer than I wanted it to, but it is what it is. Um, until next time, remember to eat with a purpose, train with attention and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. If you made it this far, I appreciate you listening and I will see you on the next episode. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.